Lizzo there with Naked, you are an in your face on 3CR with James, joined by Matthew Roberts from Sex Work Law Reform Victoria. Hello, Matthew. Hi, James. I've got to ask you, you did an event last night about the banks with a porn star. Do tell. Yes, it was myself and uh, Christine McQueen. She's a Australian porn performer and private escort. And we shared stories about how we've been treated so badly by the banks because of the industry that we work in. Basically, the banks don't want to touch us. And there's awful discrimination that happens. People have their bank accounts basically shut down, you know, without any notice. Uh, terrible discrimination, do tell. Yep, so there's no there's no good bank. They're all sort of pretty bad. Uh, Christine McQueen spoke about how over a, a many years she lost about a million dollars from her business. Uh, Square Payments, Commonwealth Bank, the major banks, uh, MasterCard, Visa... They don't necessarily give reasons. There's no notice sometimes. Appalling behaviour. And we're on a mission now with this new federal government to approach the, um, the parliament and say we want change. And any overtures, have they been made so far to the new government? We wanted to give the government time to settle in. They've got a lot on their plate. So we'll be making moves soon. Of course, Sex Work Law Reform Victoria has been very successful lobbying the government. We've had the first tract of decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria. You are the policy officer for Sex Work Law Reform Victoria. You're also a sex worker. How has decriminalisation affected sex workers? I imagine it's a breath of fresh air. It is a breath of fresh air and the first half of the changes applied in May and it's just giving us more flexibility and freedom and we can relax a bit more. We don't need to worry about those laws, about police and about getting in trouble. And of course, one of the huge benefits from a business point of view is advertising laws have been um, relaxed for private escorts who want to advertise online. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. So what does that mean? How have they been relaxed? Previously, there were um, state criminal laws enforced by police that banned all nudity in online advertisements. Now, James, I'm sure you can appreciate many prospective sex work clients, they do want to see more than just the face. Yeah. Right. Was it for newspapers as well or was it just online? It was more of an online uh, focus um, in terms of the uh, the restrictions. And so clients, they want to see what they're paying for. And a lot of the sex workers who, you know, they've got a great body, they want to show that off, they might want to be nude. But the law said that nudity, male or female, so women it was breasts, uh, men and women it was front and back nudity, was a criminal offence under moralistic advertising regulations. That's been lifted now. So that gives us more flexibility on adult-only websites to actually advertise our adult services. That must have been weird on, on services like, you know, Scruff, Squirt, Grinder, where the non-sex workers, they're showing everything, and the sex workers were restrained with what they could show. How odd. It is ironic because uh, as soon as you, it becomes commercial sex work, these moralistic laws apply. The actual advertising is less on the um, the dating apps and it's more on the actual escort directories. So a, a website like rentmen.com, um, that's that's a good example where the nudity goes down and the advertisements occur. So tell us generally, like for you as a sex worker, what's it been like working in this new decriminalised system that we have? Well, we're all sort of getting our heads around the changes because... 
the laws were compli- complicated and people are still getting their heads around it, but it just means that we can actually work as normal business people. We can uh, advertise to our clients more accurately. We can actually use the word massage. So it's not just about nudity. There was also a ban on, on us using the word massage. And many gay male sex workers do offer an erotic massage service. So we can finally say that we're doing massage as well as sex. We can describe our services. So if we do, I won't describe them on air now, James, but if there's a list of special services, that can be described so that the client knows what they're getting. And this helps to negotiate consent and temper expectations so that we can say what we do do and what we don't do. Of course, you know, since lockdowns have lifted, decriminalisations happened, is business booming in the sex industry? I think we're still seeing a bit of nervousness around COVID. So obviously under the law, we're allowed allowed to work now with the coronavirus restrictions, but a lot of customers, they're worried about their spending and they're still worried about the virus. So it has picked up Comedia last year, but I'm not aware that it's up to levels it was pre-COVID yet. And I imagine over the last few weeks with the surge, that nervousness has continued, not just for, for the clients, but for sex workers as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, personally for me, it's something that we're, that we're all still worried about. It's, it's on our mind. We do have financial pressures, but we also have health concerns as well. So it's, I guess it's not unique to sex work. Everyone's weighing up how they live their lives in this, with this new surge. Of course, sex workers have always been at the forefront of, of sexual health education and campaigns in Australia and around the world. You're in this bizarre position where there's not only um, COVID, but there's also now monkeypox for male sex workers, you know, and, and female sex workers for all sex workers, multi-gender sex workers. Uh, but for men who have sex with men, it's, it's quite a, a, a concern. How is that impacting on the industry? It is a concern and it's an, it's an emerging concern. And what, what I'm really hoping is that this time around, we had HIV in the 1980s and 90s. I'm hoping that this time around, stigma is not going to be a factor and we'll be looking at this for the, for the um, public health objective, objectively um, that it presents. So I'm hoping that, that the response will be proportionate to the threat and that the fact that it happens to be confined to men who have sex with men won't stigmatise or minimise the response. And obviously we need a vaccine rollout. That would have a huge impact on on sex workers and your clients in a very positive way. Yeah, and I mean, I was listening to... I mean, my organisation, Sex Worker Law Reform Victoria, really focuses on more um, business and, and legal matters, but I was listening to Afeo speaking in the media about this, and I mean, it just made so much sense. Right. We need a, a fast response. We need governments to roll out the vaccine and we need um, the federal government to take this seriously. Of course, the second stage of Victoria's decriminalisation of sex work kicks in in December 2023. What can you tell us about that? What will it cover? That will, that'll, that's probably a more significant change. That's when the council planning scheme laws will change brothels will be able to set up in more locations and crucially private individual sex workers will be allowed to work from home in all areas of of the council that they live in. Now of course uh, pretty central to decriminalisation is is planning law and local government. You have been working very strongly in that area. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Especially you know councils who are a bit rogue on sex work, quite conservative on sex work like Burundara. Yeah, so the the um, council, the planning schemes 
will actually be really transformed and will become the most, I, I argue, the most progressive in the world when it comes to sex work. And councils have struggled with that. With that, Sex work will effectively be regulated and treated like hairdressers. So they'll be allowed in about half of the locations, but they'll still be banned in other locations. Home-based sex work will be allowed. And you are right. Uh, some council areas, some councils are not comfortable with these changes, namely the Conservative Borondara. I'm pleased that we held the, um, the Porn Star event in Borondara last night, and a progressive pro-sex worker councillor was there, Victor Franco. So he was there to show his support, but none of the other councillors were there, and I didn't expect that they'd have any interest in being in the same room as a porn star. Now, since sex work was decriminalised in Victoria, or the first tract began, uh, and the sky hasn't fallen in, have those Conservative councils, do you think, softened a little bit? Do you think they're more open-minded? Or you think they're, they're building up to kind of, you know, have a, a spat with the government as we get close to the election and uh, planning starts to, you know, be, be looked at a bit more closely? The murmurs I'm hearing, James, are the second, that they haven't given up, they haven't accepted the inevitable, and they're gearing up to try to make this a wedge election issue. So I think that that could become an issue. Okay, so that means negative stories in the Herald Sun, uh, fear-mongering, kind of, you know, being brought on by resonance associations, which are often a front for, you know, supporters of political candidates, uh, all the usual kind of fun and games. The usual tools of their trade, the the, the hate, the fear-mongering, I I expect will be pulled out, yes. But, I mean, the sky hasn't fallen in, uh, you know, and there hasn't been a public outcry uh, about the decriminalisation of sex work, not even when the legislation was being debated. You know, most people couldn't care less. Uh, I would say many people would cynically look at politicians trying to make this a wedge issue, especially as it hasn't been an issue since the first tract of decriminalisation has kicked in. Well, you're absolutely right, James. It should never be a wedge or political issue. We argued it should be a straightforward issue of the health and safety of sex workers. And when it comes to the sky falling in, you don't your listeners don't need to listen to me or sex workers or the police or the councils. They can look at their own street. Since May of this year, street-based sex work has been mostly decriminalised. Have your listeners seen more street sex workers on their street? I haven't on my street. No. Nothing's changed. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the Liberal Party is meant to be, uh, you know, pro-independent contractor, pro-small business, pro-enterprise. That is sex work. That is sex workers. Absolutely it is. And the the speaker at last night's event in the city of Borondara, Christine McQueen, she spoke primarily as a businesswoman. She's earning great money. She's run businesses. She's got all these complex business banking products, she's advertising. She's a businesswoman, plain and simple. Is part of the problem with the Liberal Party in Victoria that it's been kind of, you know, it's co-opted, it's it's recruited uh, conservative, right-wing, kind of Christian nationalist people to run for local office? Well, it's a great question, James. I was hoping that the Liberal Party would have their small L liberal values and would see that this is a small business regulation issue, which is what it is. But they didn't. At the state level in Victorian Parliament, we had moralising, we had fear-mongering. They did not recognise it as a small business issue. They saw it as a moral and public health threat. Yeah, right. So you are involved in a peer support group 
for male identifying sex workers. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, so there's a group, it's um, been around for about six years, called Working Man. It's made up of male-to-male sex workers. It's a sort of a collective, and we we network and inform each other about what's going on and support each other through the tough times with the COVID, the, clo- the closure of, what was that website? Um, OnlyFans? No. Um, Tumblr. Craig's, Craigslist. Craigslist. Sorry, There's been a few that have been closed. Yeah, a few that have been closed. And, of course, all of these state government council... Um, fear campaigns. So it's just sort of sticking together and supporting each other as a community um, of sex workers whose needs and concerns differ slightly from female sex workers. Of course, you are the policy officer for Sex Work Law Reform Victoria. What is the organisation's main focus at the moment? The banks and councils, in short. So we want to take on the banks and uh, legally fight back against discrimination that occurs. And we want to make sure that councils obey the new decrim bill laws so that they will treat sex workers fairly and equally as the law will soon require them to do. Matthew Roberts, always great to chat. Great to see you at 3CR. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here in person, James. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Up soon, Colin Petruni from Thorn Harbour Health to talk about monkeypox. And a bit later, Rodney Croom from Just Equal will be talking about blood donations. But in the meantime, here's Paul Weller.
close to Peace I cannot find Dancing through the fire Just close enough to tell you that you do something to me, something deep COVID has shown anything, no government in Australia has had a planned approach to safety in terms of workers under COVID. Everything's been done knee-jerk. So whilst you've got market capitalism operating from a market perspective, we're only ever going to get knee-jerk things which involve huge exploitation, inequity and racism. None of these things are being planned or addressed in any long-term way. It's all stopgap and knee-jerk, and it is because of the role of the market. Subscribe to 3CR, workers' rights and union struggles. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
Moby there. Porcelain, you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, this week, Australia's Commonwealth Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, announced that monkeypox was a condition, an illness of national significance. On the line, I have Thorn Harbour Health's Colin Petruni. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. I'm really happy to be here. Colin, it's been a big week with the Chief Medical Officer's announcement and also the Australian Technical Advisory Group kind of um, paving the way for a vaccination rollout. What can you tell us about where we've landed? Uh, so I think the, uh, the, the Commonwealth Government are, are really taking this seriously, and they should, and we're very pleased that they are. Um, the situation with regard to vaccines at the moment is that there's a third-generation uh, uh, smallpox vac- vaccine called Junios, and uh, that's the vaccine that's being used internationally for uh, pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis for monkeypox. Um, I know that the government um, uh, have procured uh, a supply of the, of the vaccine, and, uh, and not in huge numbers, and the uh, state and territory government have also procured uh, a vaccine, uh, which they'll be rolling out in the next uh, few weeks. But um, I guess, I guess uh, the take-home message is that there will be uh, a, b- a very large supply of the vaccine in early 2023. Now, we don't want to wait until early 2023 to vaccinate people who are at risk of monkeypox. And so I think the first transfer of vaccines will be very targeted to those at risk. Yeah, what can you tell us about who will be prioritised? I would say it would be men who have sex with men, uh, yes. but who within that cohort? So, obviously, we would be looking at people who are close contacts of anybody who has uh, been diagnosed with monkeypox. They would be a priority. And also, we'd be looking at uh, uh, gay and other uh, men who have sex with men who have multiple sex partners um, uh, because, of course, uh, Given that kind of sexual activity, you're 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 more likely to be exposed uh, to monkeypox if it's in the community. What can you tell us about the uh, the vaccines course? I understand there's two shots. That's right. There's two shots. There's one shot, and then there is another shot, no less than 28 days later. Uh, so um, yes, it's a two shot regimen, and 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 that's how it uh, how it's administered. Um, there may be. Uh, some leeway in terms of the second shot. You, you may actually um, be still fully protected if the shot is administered more than 28 days later, but certainly no less than 28 days. And what about isolation if people are exposed to monkeypox? Yes, so if people are mon- exposed to monkeypox, uh, from the moment uh, they see a lesion uh, forming, uh, from that moment onwards, they're advised to isolate for 21 days. Now, um, obviously, some people will be diagnosed either a week or two weeks after they've noticed uh, a lesion, and by the time they get to the doctor and, and realise that this is something quite serious. So but that doesn't change the timeline. They would still be uh, uh, advised to isolate from the from the from the time that the, those symptoms became um, clear to them so they from the then from the moment of diagnosis their isolation might maybe just a week if you know what I mean it sounds like this is a ticking time bomb for Australia and the government perhaps has left this a little bit too late it just takes one person to come back from overseas to have a big night say at the sauna and all of a sudden it could spread like wildfire yes so I think uh, you may be right. This may have caught the government on the back foot in relation to being prepared. 
But as we know, the, the biggest uh, viral game in town is COVID and, and has been for some time. At the moment, there are 45 cases nationally of monkeypox and there are 16 cases in Victoria. Now, 12 of those cases in Victoria have cleared the virus. So at the moment, there is a real window of opportunity to deal with this problem, but that window will close very quickly if we see more transmission in the community. What can you tell us about the spread of monkeypox overseas? Last time I spoke to Simon Ruth from Thorn Harbour, he said the disease was mutating and the uh, symptoms were manifesting differently in different regions. Is, is that something that's still ongoing? Uh, well, they're seeing uh, different symptom manifestations uh, here as well. Uh, so quite apart from the, um, uh, the lesions that people can, um, can see, uh, and, and as, as is kind of uh, characteristic with, with viral infections, there's a spectrum of, of, of disease, and this is the same for COVID, actually. Uh, some people experience very mild symptoms and not very serious at all, while other people will require hospitalisation. Uh, and there's no way of knowing, James, um, what category you would fall into if you, if you came into contact with monkeypox. Now, with regard to transmission overseas, they are seeing um, uh, a big upswing in, in the number of cases in uh, Spain and um, in America. Uh, they're seeing a levelling off of cases in London. Um, uh, but I think the, the take-home message really is uh, we need a vaccine rollout and we need it yesterday um, to be able to deal with this problem. Um, I, I think the government uh, do understand the seriousness of it, um, given the Chief Health Officer's um, uh, demarcation of monkeypox as uh, a, a very serious infection um, and the ATAGI advice around the Duinos uh, vaccination. Um, but it's been difficult to get supplies of the Duinos uh, vaccine globally. There's a shortage. So, um, it's, you know, I'm a glass half full person. It's, it's great that they've actually been able to um, to procure vaccines that are going to be available in the states and territories within, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we really need to ramp up uh, the vaccine rollout as soon as possible. Yes, yeah, so you're saying the vaccine will be available, that rollout for targeted groups will be available in the next couple of weeks. Do we have a date? It sounds a little bit up in the air. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, James, I can't give you a date. And when I speak to the health department, they can't give me a date. It all depends on when the vaccine gets into the country. It's a little bit like the early days of COVID, if you remember. It was uh, difficult to get that vaccine um, in the beginning of the epidemic. Um, but uh, it, every chance I get, and thank you, 3CR, this is the second chance on 3CR I've had this week, uh, I, I really need to get the message out there that we need this vaccine. We need it implemented. No one wants monkeypox. Gay and other men who have sex with men want to protect themselves and protect others. And the, the clearest and easiest and most effective way to do that in this situation is through vaccination. Of course, Thorn Harbour Health is renowned for its community education campaigns around gay men's health and the health of men who have sex with men. What community education can we expect from you guys? 
Okay, so Jane, since May, when the first case was uh, was identified, um, we have implemented a campaign of community messaging in relation to monkeypox, and this has been done through our digital media, dating apps, and through our outreach program. And our focus has always has been uh, from the beginning what monkeypox is, how it's contracted, symptoms, treatment, and prevention, and we'll continue uh, that work um, uh, going forward. Fantastic. Colin Petruni, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Much appreciated. It's a pleasure, James, and um, and thanks for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. I hope to chat again. Cheers. Okay, bye. Colin Petruni there from Thorn Harbour Health. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Here's Playtime.
about a voice in our own country we've got a reason to be screaming out where's our voice in this country you know not that i want to be a part of the constitution for that you know that's why 3cr is so important to, to me and this community here we've got a voice but it's not you know we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got but it's all about having a voice subscribe to 3cr fiercely independent and community controlled Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 
make some plans I can get drunk on a Saturday night And try to fall for someone new But I just wake up hungover Cursing the day I fell for you Love can go to hell to hell you are on in your face on 3cr with james up soon rodney croom talking about blood donations but in the meantime here's you or my
So 
Jessica Ware there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by Rodney Croom from Just Equal. Rodney, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. Great to chat. The Environment Minister, Tanya Plebisek, has weighed into the blood donation policy debate. What's she calling for? Uh, yes, she has. It's a great development. Um, Tanya Plebisek has said that she supports a review of the existing policy. As your listeners might recall from our previous discussions, at the moment, um, if you're a gay man uh, or if you're a bisexual man or a transgender woman who has sex with men, um, you have to be abstinent for three months before you can donate blood. Um, what uh, Just Equal Australia is calling for, uh, and the new Let Us Give campaign as well, is for that policy to be abolished and to have a new policy of individual risk assessment, where everyone is assessed for their individual risk, uh, whether they're gay or straight or cis or trans. Um, and the first step towards that is for the Red Cross Lifeblood Service to conduct a review of whether that would be appropriate. Um, and uh, based on the growing evidence from overseas that it would be. And uh, Tanya Plebisek, uh, we asked her view on this, and she wrote back to us and she said, yes, I support a review of the existing policy. She's the first uh, member, Labor Member of Parliament to do that. Um, and from our point of view, it's a really important step forward to have a member of the new government saying that, yeah, it's time to have a look at this policy. And we're calling on... Um, the government as a whole, to follow her lead. So did you reach out to other ministers uh, or just her? It seems surprising that the environment minister would weigh in on this. Uh, But as you say, it's a very good sign. Um, We have written to a number of different ministers on this, especially the health minister, Mark Butler, um, and also the uh, assistant health minister, Jed Canney. Um, uh, They haven't responded yet. Uh, Tanya Plebisek's response was almost immediate. Um, So, uh, yeah, obviously she has a strong view on this Um, and uh, hopefully uh, others in the government, particularly the health minister, will, um, will agree with her. Do you think her response is partly because her quick response, and it's wonderful, is because she is a member for Sydney and she does have a large uh, LGBTIQA plus constituency? Well, that's quite possible. Um, She does have a very large queer constituency. um, And I would imagine that as a member for Sydney, she's had quite a few representations about this issue over the years from gay men and and bi men and trans women who are unhappy about the existing policy. So, yeah, she's probably well acquainted with it from complaints from her constituents. um, And she uh, clearly... um, understands the issue. She In her response to us, she said that she'd read the report that we sent her, a report written by Dr Sharon Dane, who's a researcher with Just Equal Australia, um, looking at the overseas research, all of which points in the direction of individual risk assessment. She'd had a look at that. Uh, she clearly understood the issues. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I think we're dealing with someone here who's had a, a fair acquaintance with this issue and uh, thinks it's time that Australia moved on. And it's smart politics from Tanya Plebisek. I mean, the government's been very quiet on LGBTIQ issues since it came to office. We were hoping for a big reset since the dark years of the of the Morrison government. And, of course, it would be a very proactive uh, step in a good news story considering Bill Shorten's move recently on removing the term birthing parents from Medicare forms and replacing it with mother. Were we expecting a big reset? 
Well, I think we were hoping. I mean, you know, after the religious discrimination bill, uh, you know, and the I government... Think we, in, no? I think we, we were hoping that this, this new government uh, would uh, deliver us from some of the horrors of the previous government. Yes, and it has. Um, the religious discrimination bill in its previous form is no longer on the table. Um, so is the, the, the Save Women Sports Bill about excluding trans women from elite sport. That's also off the table. Um, not just elite sport, all sport. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's a positive move. But the Labor Party was a small target before the election on LGBTIQA plus issues. And I think it was pretty likely it was going to remain a small target after the election. Um, so it's no surprise to me that there hasn't been much coming out of the government. Um, I agree with you, of course, that Bill Shorten's statements, Bill Shorten taking um, birthing parent uh, off uh, those documents was a disappointment, particularly given it had been put there under the previous government. Um, that seemed like a really retrograde step, but completely unnecessary and quite discriminatory. Um, and very uncharacteristic of him because he was—he's been a strong supporter of the LGBTIQ plus community in in the past. Um, that just seemed like someone wanting to dodge what he would have might have seen as some kind of culture war trap. But instead, he's fallen in the trap into the trap of discrimination. Yeah, so, yes. it seems like an own goal, and that that culture war avoidance kind of you know argument doesn't really wash with me. It doesn't pass the pub test. No, 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 no. It's easy to... I mean, if you put a bit of energy uh, and a bit of political capital into explaining why, those, why that term is important, I think the majority of people would get it. Um, it's, it's, it's not inevitable that, um, that the culture warriors win on these issues. Um, those uh, centre and progressive politicians who explain why we need to be more inclusive will win the argument if they're willing to explain, if they're willing to make the case, if they're willing to put, like I said, a bit of time and effort and political capital into it. It just seems that he wasn't willing to do that. Um, so given those circumstances, yes, this is a positive message out of the government to have Tanya Plebiscic back, backing a review on um, gay blood donation. Um, I'd like to see lots more positive messages, but yeah, uh, this is a good one. Disappointing that Mark Butler, the health minister, hasn't responded, hasn't been proactive on this issue. Uh, and you'd think after Tanya, uh, Tanya Plebiscic taking the lead on this, that he'd want to he'd want to follow. Yes, um, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's a big portfolio. It's a very demanding portfolio at the moment, uh, particularly with an upsurge in COVID cases and deaths. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, on issues like mask mandates and on vaccines and all the rest, so or vaccine boosters. So um, I can understand why he might be distracted by other things. But yes, I hope that at some point soon he will come to focus on this issue. Uh, we've asked to meet him. We've sent him our report. We've sent him the um, the research from overseas, the evidence from countries where individual risk assessment currently prevails, like the UK and Canada and other countries. Um, and so hopefully he'll focus on that soon. Um, another thing, of course, as health minister, just to take us in a slightly different direction that he also needs to focus on, is monkeypox, which obviously is disproportionately affecting um, gay men <coughs> overseas and will do so in Australia as well. Um, we need to be talking to him not only about blood donation but also about uh, education and vaccination, particularly for priority groups like gay men in Australia.
Absolutely. We've heard this afternoon on the show that hopefully we will see those vaccines being rolled out in the next few weeks. Rodney Croom, always great to chat with you on 3CR. We are out of time, but always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Thanks, James. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.